So right now what we're talking about, Jason did a great job yesterday talking about the end. And Israel has now been decimated. Um, They did not listen to God. They did not listen to the prophets. They did not repent. You had one king after another who was just an absolute knucklehead, led Israel into sin. And then unfortunately now, the 10 tribes of Israel, are they're destroyed. And so then we move to Jerusalem and, and, the, and, the, and the tribe of Judah. So they're in Jerusalem. And this is, this is that part of the story now that, that we're in. And it's the fall of the kingdom. This is a, it's a terrible part of the story. It's, it's so frustrating. How many of you guys have been reading along and you're just like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, really? And so we're going to, I'm going to catch you up on some of this, of what's going on. And um, so we have Manasseh now. And he is, I know this is so annoying, but I'm going to just cough the whole time without it, so we're just getting me garbling. Is it, is it as annoying to you as it is to me with me having some in my mouth? Should I just keep drawing attention to it? Because that's helping, right? What a dingle. Okay. Me, I mean. All right, Manasseh. He reigns in Jerusalem. He is a complete horrible man. He kills his own son, sacrifices him to Baal. He, it says that he shed more blood from one end of Jerusalem to the other than any of the other kings before him absolutely horrifying person. He, he, puts, he puts an Asherah pole in the temple of God. In the temple of God. Unbelievable knucklehead. Does not love the Lord. Completely evil. So God sends the Assyrians. They take Manasseh away. And while Manasseh is there, he repents to the Lord. He humbles himself and he repents to the Lord and the Lord sends him back to Jerusalem. And for the rest of his life, Manasseh actually follows the Lord. That to me is unbelievable, okay? God actually forgave somebody who killed his own son in the fire, worshipped all these horrible gods, did everything wrong, blew up the whole nation, got the nation invaded, takes him off into captivity. But you know what? God still loves Jerusalem. God still loves Judah. God still loves David and he wants to keep his word to David. But also beyond that, he actually loves the kids, He hasn't given up. He wants to see good things happen for them. And so when Manasseh repents, this is amazing, God forgives him. And Manasseh goes back, and he does pretty well for the rest of his life. And he's actually returned to Jerusalem. That right there is a huge picture of the kindness, the patience, the forbearance, and the commitment of God to love us. Because we're in this story, by the way. How many of you have had a bad day? How many of you cannot believe how quickly you got to where you got in one day? You know, you jump on that sled, you're like, ooh, naughty sled. I shouldn't touch you. No, I shouldn't, but you're naughty. Woo! And then the next thing you know, you're at the bottom of the hill, and you're just like, how did I get here? Because you got on the naughty sled. You ate a whole chocolate cake, and you're diabetic. You thought that that wasn't going to happen. You didn't even slice it. You got the whole cake and sat down, put a tablecloth around you, and you're shocked that you're like, I shouldn't have done that. Well, we're like that. And here's Judah doing it again, Manasseh, bam. So he does it, but then he repents, and the Lord pulls him out and restores him. Unfortunately, Amon comes next. Amon is his son. Doesn't learn anything. Learns nothing. He's worse than his dad. He's just as bad. He's horrible. Leads Jerusalem totally into horrible things. Dies. Josiah comes along. If you'll notice, Amon didn't didn't last a whole lot of time. Josiah comes next. Josiah is amazing. I wish I had time to tell you about how awesome he is, but he was awesome. He loved the Lord. He He got rid of all the gods and all the false idols and all the naughtiness and nastiness, and he served the Lord with his whole heart. Beautiful time in in Judah's history. Wonderful time in Jerusalem. His son, 
complete lame head. You notice there's not even an end date. Jehoahaz, he comes in. He's there for three months. Three months he makes it. His dad was awesome. Now, I think it's interesting, actually, because Jehoahaz was, if you look at this, the judgment of God came upon Jehoahaz in three months. He was so bad that his own people took him out in three months. What does that tell you? It's interesting because Manasseh did horrible things and then repented, and God restored him. Jehoahaz did horrible things and was, was gone in three months. But look at who Jehoahaz's daddy was. Josiah, one of the most righteous kings that we've seen in Jerusalem since David. You see, we're responsible for our level of understanding. We're responsible to respond up to our level of understanding. And you see, Jehoahaz, he knew better. He's got one of the most righteous daddies you've had. And he turns around and goes absolutely in the, in the other direction. Not because he was ignorant, but because he chose to be evil. And God delivered Jerusalem from, delivered Judah from Jehoahaz. And so then Jeho uh, Jehoiakim, he comes on the scene. Unfortunately, he is also terrible, terrible king, absolutely horrible. And during that time, you can see Prophet Jeremiah and Prophet Ezekiel are sent by God in, the, in this mix to bring God's heart, to speak to Jerusalem, to speak to Judah, to say, I love you. I want to take care of you. I want you to follow me. I want good things for you. But there, some of them are listening. Josiah listens. Manasseh listens at, at a certain point. But these other kings, they're not having it. And then Zedekiah. Zedekiah comes on the scene. He is also horribly wicked. Terrible, terrible man. Leads Judah into all kinds of sin, all the classic sins. You know, it is interesting that, that all of these kings, they all serve the same false gods. That's a sale off for us. It, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. The same things that we get sucked in by in our day and age, be it, be it lust, be it greed, be it power, whatever it is, they, these, these gods' names, we might not call it Baal, we might not call it Ashtoreth, we might not call it those things, but they're the same doctrines of demons that these guys were serving, and they were falling into the same things over and over again. Those are the same false gods that we face every day in our own culture. See, things haven't changed. We've got to decide, am I going to solve, am I going to serve uh, Ashtoreth? Am I going to serve the seductive, lust-filled sides of things? Am I going to serve Baal? Am I going to sacrifice my children because of my own ambition and greed? Am I too busy building wealth that I'll sacrifice my own children in the fire of my busyness? Will I? And so these guys are going through that, and they're not doing well. And God keeps sending the prophets and speaking to them. And finally, in 586, in Zedekiah's reign, the Babylonians come in, and they absolutely obliterate Jerusalem, and everyone is carried off into exile. This is 111 years from Manasseh to Zedekiah. Just in this section of Judah's history, for 111 years, you have message after message after message to Jerusalem to say, please turn to me, God says. Please come back. Remember the rock from which you've been cut. Remember the promises that I've given you. Remember I'm your daddy. I'm the God that went with you and took you out of Egypt and brought you into the promised land and now you're there and I've given you these amazing ethics, these amazing laws to live by, which are the best for you and for your neighbor. I've given you every good thing and all I'm asking is that you let me bless you and be a blessing. Isn't that amazing that that's God's desire? He blesses us so we could be a blessing and that's all he's asking today. Hey guys, come follow me. Let me bless you so you can be a blessing. And we're like, yeah, Lord, bless me so I can do what I want. And he's like, that's only half of it. 
I want to bless you to be a blessing. I want to give you life so you can give life. And they will not listen. They will not listen. And Jerusalem falls after 111 years. You know, America's what, 270 years old now? That kind of makes you tremble a little bit, right? Like, oh, oh. We've been here 270 years. A lot can happen in 111 years. Are we, uh, we doing okay, Lord? I got some good news for you here today, so don't get too far. But it should put the fear of God in you. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Every generation gets an opportunity to live righteously before the Lord. God doesn't hold you responsible for the state of your culture. He holds you responsible to live in his. God doesn't hold you responsible for the state of your culture, but he does hold you responsible to live in his. And if you and I live in the culture of the kingdom and engage in everything that's been given unto us, you know what happens? The state of the other culture begins to shift because you're salt and light. And so in the same way, God is speaking to Judah and he's saying, guys, come back, come back. And they will not have it and they will not listen. And by the end of it, Jerusalem falls. Now, I actually feel like I am uniquely qualified to talk to you about falls. I have a gift, I feel. <laughs> Come on, baby. Here we go. All right. When I was a young lad, when I was a young lad, I uh, was a punk. I really was. I had a great mom. I got a good family. And, um, but man, did I like to drink. And man, did I like weed. And man, did I like girls. And it turns out that Jesus and weed and drinking and more than one girl don't mix very well. And I liked the Lord. I did. I liked him. But I really liked Ashtoreth. And I liked the Lord, but I really liked pleasure. And so I would sneak out at night, starting about 13 years old. I had about a, about a two and a half, three year major rebellion time. That I was just like, God, I love you, and I don't want to go to hell. I know that for sure. Sounds like a terrible place. But at the same time, I really like what I like when I like it, and I can always repent later because I hear you're pretty good. And so I would sneak out, and I would go out, and I would party, and I'd have a really, I'm not going to lie, I had an awesome time. I really did. I'm not romanticizing it. It's just that it was all pleasure, and there was no consequences, and it was fantastic. I loved it. I was a little tired, but... Overall, I got everything that I wanted. I was charming. I was way better looking then than I am now. And, um, and I just got what I want when I wanted it. Everything was working well. I, I would feel guilty occasionally. We'd be like driving down the road at night, 80 miles an hour, where there's a lot of deer where I grew up. And, and you had to be careful not to hit deer. And we'd be all drunk driving. And, and I would be praying, Jesus, you got to make sure there's no deer on the road. And here's why, Lord. Because if we hit a deer, none of these dudes are saved. I'm saved. They're all going to go to hell. And I'm going to go to heaven. And that's going to be terrible. I'm not going to tell them about you. So, but at the same time, I really don't want them to die because they go to hell. So keep the deer off the road, Lord. You can see my dilemma. Those were the prayers that I prayed. It's true. It is true. The prayers of a hedonist. And so I prayed those prayers, and we didn't hit any deer, so that's good. We did hit one deer one time, and I've got time, so I'm going to tell you this. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't have time. I'm staying on track. Thank you, Jesus. Who have you, who's been praying for me that I would stay on track? That's a miracle. It's a, hallelujah. All right. So one night, I go, I come back from having, you know, done my normal sneak out program. I get in bed. I go to sleep. I have a dream. 
I have a dream that is, you ever have those dreams that are so completely real that you can't tell you're dreaming? Most times you know you're dreaming. But sometimes, man, you have those dreams and you're like, whoa. I had a dream that I jumped off a waterfall much like this one. Jumped off the waterfall and it was like I could feel the mist. You know how the water, and you could hear it. And you feel that waterfall inside of you. Don't you love that? Deep cries into deep. Jumped off the waterfall. Perfect dive. Like Greg Luganus, man, that was perfect. Anyway, and about halfway through, I realize I'm going to die. How do I know this? I know this because the water is like this deep at the bottom of the waterfall. And somehow I knew that halfway through, like, oh, what is that? You know, that I'm coming towards, like, what is that? Oh, it's this deep. I'm going to die. And I realize I'm going to die. And somehow right before I hit the water, I flipped around into a kneeling position. I landed on my knees like in a praying position. And I lived, and I woke up out of the dream, and it was so vivid, and I thought, ha. Huh. And so I woke my little brother Ish up. Ish, dude, wake up, I had a dream. Don't you love it when people tell you dreams? You're like, oh, good Lord. Like, please, tell me your metaphysical experience. My, my, if you guys want to bug my wife, where is she? Tell her your dreams. Oh, man, you need to do that for me. She hates it. You guys should just start emailing her dreams just as a joke between us. Oh, man, she hates that. That's not how her mind works. That's my bottom line, woman of wisdom. So anyway, tell her about your dreams. <laughs> I, I didn't know this when we were first married, and I used to tell her my dreams, and eventually I thought she was interested, but then I realized she was off in her head somewhere, just like, I should have known because I'd get done with the dream and I'd be like, what do you think? She'd be like, hmm, interesting. So do you think that we should be saving for the roof or do you think that we should maybe get the car fixed? I'm like, I didn't even notice for years that she had, was not paying any attention whatsoever. I come out of the dream, I wake my brother up, and I tell him the dream. And he says what any of you would say unless you have a gift for discerning dreams. Huh, interesting. And he went to sleep. Three days later, I went rock climbing. We used to rock climb all the time. And as you've heard from my escapades that I'm telling you about, I was a genius. And so we climbed shale without ropes. Even if you have ropes, it doesn't matter if you're climbing shale. We climbed shale. I feel like there's probably a whole preach on that. But nonetheless, me and my buddy Jay and my buddy Mike Fletcher all went up and we're, we're rock climbing. And so I actually hiked up there the other day with Seth. And these are some pictures. I don't know if you can see it very well. Um, but uh, maybe you could lower the lights for just a second because I want to I point a couple things out. Oh, yeah, that's such a bummer. It doesn't look at all as good as it was. But anyway, I had to take two pictures because, okay, so like right here in the corner, this is me standing here. And there's a tree right there. And then you see up above there's that ledge. If I was cool, I would use that little light that Jason used last time, but I didn't figure out how to do that. So, hey, there we go. Yeah, so that's a ledge. And then there's like a cave. And then right there you can see is a full-grown tree. And that's me down on the bottom. Seth is up above that ledge looking up towards where I was climbing. And so I'm way up above him. So that's about 75 feet from where Seth is to where I was. And then it's about 75 feet from the top of that ledge to where I'm standing down there. So I'm up there climbing. Everything's going great. We used to climb a lot. You can bring the lights back up. And, uh, and I get to this point where Jay's behind me, and I climb up, and there's a rock, like little rock here, and it's like three, it's like a six-foot area. There's a, one thing here. So I put my foot up on it, grab it, jump up. As I jump off of it, it breaks off, and there's like nothing else. So Jay can't come up, and I can't come down. Jay's like, dude, I can't come up. And I said, dude, I can't come down. Just keep it, keep it real for you here. So I'm like, no problem. I'll climb up further, and I'll come down a different way. Well, I keep climbing, and as you can, you, well, you can't see it as well from here, but it's, it's kind of like this, but then it starts going like this, and I'm like right here. 
and I'm totally stuck, which I've never been stuck before. We did a lot of rock climbing. I used to really freak my friends out. They're like, dude, you are insane. And I was, and I was awesome. It's like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, only it was really me. So anyway, I, uh, I cannot move. And all of a sudden, it gets quiet. And my buddies are like down smoking, because we all smoked, of course, and because uh, that was back when it was cool. I love it that kids don't think it's cool to smoke now. It's so awesome, isn't it? I thought it was so cool. I was like, I'm going to live forever. Now the kids are like, you see somebody smoking now, and you're like, Did, do you not know that that's not even cool anymore? It's just weird, isn't it? That's a good problem. Anywho, smoke, they're smoking some cigarettes. They're like, dude, you want a cigarette, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ha, ha, that's funny, that's funny. And then all of a sudden, now I'm getting freaked out. Like, I'm really stuck. And it gets quiet. And the Lord just speaks right into me, still small voice, just right into my spirit. And he says, Joshua, you're going to fall. Now, how many of you know that when you're on the side of a mountain and you're really, really scared, what you want to hear from the Lord is not, you're going to fall. What you want to hear is, Joshua, I have seen your precarious position, and thou art beloved, and I am compassionate, and I shall rescue thee with an angel. That's what you want when you're on the side of a mountain. That is not what he brought. He came and said, Joshua, you're going to fall. And I was like... Oh, and you want to talk, I was already scared, now I am super scared. Like the Lord's letting me know, like, welcome, maybe to the pearly gates. Because <laughs> I know what I've been doing. Three days ago is when I snuck out and I had this dream. Okay, so I'm up there. The Lord says, where you are on this mountain is where you are in life. And you've gone out so far that I have to let you fall. Not I will toss you off this mountain. Who climbed that mountain? This guy right here. Who was climbing shale? This guy right here. Who asked the Lord if it was okay? Not this guy right here. I'm just the guy that's on the mountain that climbed up a shale mountain, and I'm there, and the Lord says, where you are is where you are in life. And you've gone out so far, and you've gone off so far, you're going to fall. That was it. That's all he said. And so I said, Lord, I am not going to make you any promises. Because you and I both know I never keep my promises. That is true. I was always making him promises. I like wheel and deal the next day. You know, I was like, I feel dirty, Lord. Please forgive me, and I'll never do it again. He's like, I forgive you. And I was like, okay, sweet. I feel better. I'm going to go do it again. So I said, Lord, I don't, I'm not going to make you promises. I don't keep them. But I do ask that you'd forgive me for my sins, and I put my life in your hands. And a couple of minutes later, my foot slipped off the ledge. I didn't jump or anything. It just, it, I was very fatigued. I'd been hanging in one place for a long time. My foot slipped, and I fell 75 feet, and I hit that ledge, and then I fell another 75 feet, stuck the landing perfectly, of course, and completely broke my femur in half, uh, compound fracture here, broke my back, broke both my wrists, broke my collarbone, had a black eye for like two months, got the sweet scar on my back, Karen thinks it's awesome, and, um, and uh, but here's the thing, I lived, I lived. Can you believe it? I lived, I fell 150 feet. I fell 75 feet. I fell 20 feet over here, and you all saw me after that. I kind of wonder if I hit my head sometimes. I really do. I'm like, I don't know if I'm the same, but that's a different story. Nonetheless, this is only 20 feet, 20 feet from the ceiling, and I broke the bejeebers out of myself with 20 feet. This is 150 feet, 75, which usually kills you, and then another 75, because I don't die that easy. But nonetheless, I go to the hospital, and people are like, dude, you are so lucky. And I'm like, I am not lucky. God saved me. 
And I thought that this was going to be it. You know, I read Nikki Cruz. How many of you read The Cross and the Switchblade? Yeah, I'm like, that's my story. I was a thug, and now I've been saved. I'm probably an evangelist now. I probably can't even be tempted anymore because I almost died, and that changes everything. Somebody get me a pen. I'm going to write a book. Not even close. It was a process then because even though my body was broken and was in traction, my character also needed to be in traction, and that was a lifelong journey of which I'm still on, but we don't sneak out and lie to anybody anymore, so that's good. I feel like we should put that in the wind column. What I'm saying is this. I put myself on that mountain, and God's compassion is why I stand before you today. Amen? All right, so let's, 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 let's jump back in here, and I'll reference that story a little bit as we continue. So Ezekiel, first of all, the prophet, is speaking to Israel who are in exile right now. So Israel, as you know, last week you heard, they've been destroyed. They're scattered all over the place. And this is, this is such a, a, an amazing message that God's speaking to them as they've been, as they've been uh, uh, scattered, as, the, as this is happening. In Ezekiel, God tells Israel four times, according to your conduct and detestable practices, I will repay you. Verse 3 says this, the end is now upon you and I will unleash my anger against you. I will judge you according to your conduct and repay you for all your detestable practices. We live in a day and an age that fears judgment so much that we've actually made it like a cultural sin in this nation to judge. If you're watching a comedy, they always like do something that's kind of funny and kind of weird and they're like, don't judge me. And everybody's like, oh yeah, no, totally, I wouldn't judge you, man, that's crazy. You're supposed to be judging, that's, oh, no, whoa, that's bad. But the truth is, all of us are deathly afraid of judgment because we are terrified that we would actually be judged according to our conduct, and I love this, practices. Not that one bad thing you did that one time. No, we're talking about a lifestyle. We're talking about an entire culture that has become so bloodthirsty and so hedonistic and so selfish and so continually only committed to its own pleasures and forward motion that God himself says, I will not deal with you according to anything other than your conduct and your detestable practices. I'm going to let you fall. Just like he did with me. I didn't want to put you on that mountain, Josh. I didn't ask you to go out and ruin a bunch of people's lives and do a bunch of stupid things. I never, that never even came into my mind. It's according to your conduct and according to your detestable practices, Jerusalem and Joshua, that I'm going to deal with you. And so he does. Meanwhile, Jeremiah is speaking during this whole process of this 111 years as, as this is going on. God is still calling out for Judah, he has no desire for Judah to go out to the point where they have to fall. God never wants that to happen. And this is amazing because in the midst of this, Jeremiah, he speaks through Jeremiah and he says to them, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one, say it, one. One person who deals honestly and seeks the truth. I'll forgive this city. Did you hear that? Abraham didn't even get that sweet of a deal with Lot. He's like, you find me 10 people. God's like, okay, that's not working. I love you so much. Find me one person. Just one person that will cry out for this city. Just one person so that I can agree with my promise to David and not have to destroy Jerusalem. I established this city. I love this city. I ain't giving up on this city. I got dreams over this city. I got commitment to this city. Please find me somebody who wants to be righteous. Just one person. But alas, they cannot. 
In Jeremiah 13, 17, God is continuing to speak and he says, Jerusalem, Judah, Joshua, if you don't listen, I will weep in secret because of your pride. And my eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears. This is the Lord speaking, because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. Are you guys getting this? God doesn't take any joy in what comes down on Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. He hates it. He hates it. There's no part. See, we read the parts where he says, the Lord says, I'm very angry with you. And we're like, oh, I don't know if I trust God. He gets angry. And it's like, you know what? If you're a dad that doesn't get angry when one of your kids kills your grandchild, you ain't no kind of dad. Right? But when God does it, we're like, oh, I don't know, God. It's pretty, you will make mistakes, Jesus. No, he is a fantastic God. And he comes in and says, you have systematic injustice in your lives. And if you'll repent and turn from it, I won't hold you responsible. I will turn around and heal you. But if you're going to come back at me and not only keep doing it, but tell me that you got this, then I am going to reward you according to your conduct and your practices. You guys with me? And so, and then he says, and if you won't hear me, if you won't hear me, Joshua Revis, if you won't hear me, Christ Center, if you won't hear me, America, if you won't hear me, Jerusalem, then I will weep bitterly in secret, but I will be crying because I don't want this to happen to you. I don't like seeing you climb that mountain. I know what's going to happen. But they will not listen. And so they're destroyed. They're scattered throughout, and Jerusalem falls. Joshua falls. But this is amazing because after everything has happened, after the natural outcome of Jerusalem's choices, hear me this, hear hear me in this, after the natural outcome of Judah, of Jerusalem's conduct and practices, comes to fruition. And catch this, if one person, say it again, one person, if one person would have repented and called out, he would have given them more time. But he couldn't find one person that would call out. He couldn't find one in me. I didn't repent when I had the dream three nights before, which was him warning me, son, Think about this. This isn't even a, Karen could even interpret this. Not could, of course you could, but even Karen would be willing to interpret this. You landed on your knees. Doesn't that sound like repentance? You were diving into shallow waters. Doesn't that sound like all your relationships? Come on, buddy. But we would not do it. So the natural outcome happens. And then look at God's heart. He says, this is, the, this is Lamentations. Jeremiah is weeping before the Lord. He's carrying the heart of the Lord for the torn down desolation of Judah, of Jerusalem. It's, 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 been, it's been decimated. And he says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. Come on, that's what we're praying about this morning. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly 
for the salvation of the Lord. And then verse 33 through 36, he says this, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Oh, just close your eyes for a minute. I want to tell you a secret. Wherever you are right now, I just want to tell you something. Close your eyes because I want to, it's a secret. Shh. The Lord, he casts no one off forever. That's great news for you, isn't it? That's great news for me. Even if I'm going through something where I am reaping the necessary outcome of my terrible conduct and my terrible practices, he promises to go through it with me. You can't circumvent the outcome sometime. I have a, I have a dear friend who did a horrible thing. He's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And, and honestly, he should. He wrecked someone's life. He wrecked it. And he systematically did it for years. And he has absolutely forfeited his right to live in freedom outside of prison. Nobody made that decision for him. He made that decision. But let me tell you something. God is with him in that prison. God will redeem his time in that prison. He will be a blessing in that prison. But he will spend the rest of his life in that prison. And that's still the mercy of God because he won't spend eternity in prison. He will spend eternity with us. And that thing that he did will not come with him into eternity because that is covered by the blood of Jesus. But he will pay for the things that he's done in a very significant way. And it's right that he should do so. I still, I still am willing to be known as his friend. I didn't condone what he did, but I do forgive him. But I don't forgive him of the consequences. So this isn't just black and white. See, as Christians, we get scared that maybe salvation doesn't work if we have to actually face the consequences of our actions. But that's not how it works. There are certain things, and the word it even says, if your brother or sister is in sin, pray for them. Unless it's a sin unto death, I'm not saying pray about that. He's not saying stop praying for them if they're going to be put to death. What he's saying is don't pray that they won't be put to death. Life is, life is complex sometimes. It's not complicated, but it can be complex. So in the midst of this, Jerusalem has now paid in full for their detestable practices and their conduct. Not some random Oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you were good, but you know, like, oh, you just barely put your toe over the line and God brought the big hammer. No, these guys were so, if any of us were in God's place with Jerusalem, we wouldn't even have made it through Manasseh. We'd just be like, you're done, Judah. You're done. You're done. He'd repent. We'd be like, whatever. Of course you're repenting. Now you're in prison. That's not repentance. That's jailhouse repentance. God's like, jailhouse repentance works for me. You're going back, Manasseh, because I love Jerusalem, and I think you're going to turn it around. And you know what? He did. You and I wouldn't have done that. I don't think we, who would have done that? Come on. A couple of you would have done it. Okay, Jonathan is a man of mercy, so God bless you. I would have dropped the hammer on him. I'd be like, give me your thumbs. I'm going to cut those off too. I would. I was, Manasseh, you killed your son in a fire, dude. You ain't going back. But God turns around and says, no, this is how great my mercy is. This is how great my commitment is. I'm going to give you another chance to turn this around. And now they are falling off that mountain, just like me. They put themselves on the side of that rock, and they fell off of it. And here's God speaking to them now as they're in the midst of their consequences. Come on. They're in the midst of their consequences. How many of us have been in the midst of our consequences? And the enemy wants to say to you when you're in the middle of that, he's done with you. Like, 
First of all, it's not the first time you've been here, dummy, right? Come on. It's not the first time. Secondly, this isn't some new thing that you're doing now. This is the thing you always do. This is the devil speaking. He is done with you. In fact, how do you know that he's done with you? Because you're in the middle of these consequences. That's how you know. But the Lord comes back and says, For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. You think God wanted me to fall off that cliff? No. No. He, he even sent a dream. I didn't deserve a dream. You guys, you should have known me. Oh, man. Seriously, my idea of righteousness at that time was to at least report, like, you know I'm drunk, right? And I ain't looking for a relationship. That was me being chivalrous at the time. I mean, that's embarrassing to say right now. Forgive me. But it's true. And I thought I was awesome because of it. I would have thrown my own butt off the mountain now. I'm glad. Honestly, I'm glad he threw me off the mountain. I'd probably be dead. If he hadn't let me fall off a mountain, actually, I would be dead. I think that, Doug, would I be dead? I would be dead. I would at least be a meth addict. At very least. That is just true. Okay? But God let me face the consequences of my actions and then met me with mercy and walked me through them. I had to go through traction. I can tell the weather with my body now. I'm like, ah, oh, it's going to rain. <laughs> Woo! I'm not kidding you. I have parts of my body that fall asleep now for no reason. I'm just like, where's my thumb? Ow. You know, I, it's just, it's horrible. But you know, and the doctor told me when I was like 16, he's like, man, you are, wait till you hit 30. I was like, the Lord rebuke you. But now I'm like, oh, it's consequences. Like, he's going to give me grace for that. I don't accept arthritis or anything. <laughs> but stuff's falling asleep. I mean, I can say the Lord rebuke you and all. But it's, it hurts. It hurts. He's with me, though. He's with me. Look at this. Look at this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, he's speaking to Jerusalem and Judah. They're all in exile. There's a beautiful prophecy about, about speaking to the dry bones and calling them back, calling life back into them. He says, this is what I'm going to do because of my promises. You face the consequences of your actions, but I haven't given up on my promises, and I'm going to restore you. And here's the promise. This is what the sovereign Lord says to you, beloved, beautiful daughters and sons in this house right now. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns. And the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. And they will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and, and, and inhabited. I'm sorry, let me say that again. Are now fortified and inhabited. And then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Now, I mentioned this previously to you, but I'm going to say it again. There were years before 1948 that Bible scholars were trying to figure out what to do with this verse. They're like, oh, he just meant it for that one time that it happened before it got torn down again. Remember, Jesus said, hey, Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and persecute those uh, that love me. Oh, that you would turn and repent. I've cried out that you would repent, but you would not have it. Jesus speaking. 
And then he tells the disciples, not one stone will be left on another. Why? Because God said, Jerusalem, if you don't say, blessed is he who, if you don't say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then you will not see me, and not one stone will be left upon another. And we know that Rome comes in and destroys Jerusalem. And then you know what? For years, there is no Jerusalem. And we're left to go, uh, God, <laughs> what about Israel? And he's like, don't worry, my promises are good. And we're like, yeah, but there's no, uh, there's no Jerusalem. There's no Jerusalem. And he says, don't worry. Remember my promise? And we're really smart, so we're like, he must not really mean this, though, because there's no Jerusalem. And until 1948, people were trying to figure it out. They were tying themselves up in knots. There's a thing called replacement theology, where suddenly we were like, we did exactly what Paul said not to do. He goes, hey, listen, don't get proud and think you replaced Israel, because if God pulled them out to graft you in, don't think he won't graft them back in, and how much easier will it to take you out and put them back in? Don't get proud. And here's us. We replaced them. Jesus came, and Israel's done. You do not want that to be the case. If that is the case, we are toast. If God's just popping people in and out and never keeping his promises, you should be afraid. Thank God that's not the case. And in 1948, that scripture that says, will a nation be born in a day? Have you ever seen this? Bam! Israel's back on the earth. People are like, what? In 1948, there was such an influx of businesses that were created in America that happened at the same time. It's unbelievable. When God said, those that bless you will be blessed and those that curse you will be cursed, he never changed his mind. You ever watch people that mess with Israel? God is a jealous God, keeping his promises to every generation. A thousand generations of the righteous. We haven't even had a thousand generations on the earth yet since Adam. Are you with me? Do you hear this? God gave Abraham a covenant that, he would be, that everyone would be blessed through him. And then Israel, he said, a same covenant. Don't mess with Israel. God brought Jerusalem back. What does this mean for us? It means this. I have not forgotten you. Turn to me and I will establish you. Come work with me. Co-labor with me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will walk you through the consequences of your detestable practices. I will walk you through the conduct that's put you on that mountain. I will heal your broken, fractured, nasty thigh, Joshua. I'll fix that femur. I'll fix that back. I'll heal those wrists. I'll help you with all your addictions. You're going to have to go with me. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to walk through this, but I'll be with you. I have not rejected you. And that's God's message still to Jerusalem to this day. It still says in the word when he comes, he will put one foot in Jerusalem and the other across. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but all I'm saying is his promises are still for Jerusalem. He has not cast off his people. Christ came through the Jews and we've received the law and the prophets and Christ through the Jews because of his promises to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David. His promises are still there. And because he's kept them with Jerusalem, with Judah, he will keep them with us. And we are grafted into those promises. We don't replace them. We're grafted in with them. We are one new man in Christ is what he says. So this is our story. So if you're in a place now, if you're in a place now where God is having to deal with you according to your conduct and your detestable practices, you might be about bankrupt. 
because you have bad conduct and detestable practices. You do not give him your first fruit. You don't save, you don't plan, you don't budget. You're not generous. You take care of you and your family and it doesn't go beyond that. Well, that's only part of it. And unto the point where you're not blessed and been being a blessing, that's bad conduct. And you know what it does? Messes you up. And it's going to take some time to get out of it. But if you engage God's purposes and his principles, and we teach that in FPU, after a time, not only will you prosper, but you'll train your children to prosper. And not just so they can be rich, but so that they can bring the riches of God into every aspect of society through jobs, through generosity, schools, inventions, all of that. That's part of the heritage. So it's going to take a little while to get out of that, but he's with you. He hasn't given up on you. You're not, you're not going to remain cursed. He's saying, let me help you with this. If you're in an addiction cycle, he's saying, your drinking problem, your porn problem, your drug problem, your anger problem, your, your self-pity problem, your, your diabetes problem, whatever it is, let me help you. Let me restore you, says the Lord. There's desolate ruins in your life. You have been judged according to your conduct and your detestable practices, but I want to help you out of it. I'm not damning you and leaving you there. And it's the same thing for America. And let me say this. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to wrap this up. It's, let me say this over America. There's a whole lot more than one person calling out for the righteousness of God in this nation. He is not done with America. Our greatest days are ahead of us. Not as Christendom, but as a nation filled with saints who extend the kingdom of heaven. Regardless of legislation, regardless of leadership, we are the people of Christ. And we will follow him, starting with us, starting right here, starting with us taking responsibility for where we are and saying, God, put me in traction, but help me, Lord. I want to be on your team again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Put your hand on your heart. I want to just say this. If you agree with this message and you want to receive it, you want to make a shift, you want to say, Lord, I just received this. Make it happen in my life. I'm going to move towards this. If that's you, let's just end with this and just say, hoo Amen. You're dismissed.